You're listening to the Opportunity Zones podcast. Get ready to grow your wealth with insights and strategies for qualified opportunity fund investors. And now, here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. This is our very first ever Opportunity Zone investor roundtable. As I mentioned before, it's going to be an informal discussion of what we like about Opportunity Zones how we use opportunity zones in our investment portfolios. So I'm going to go around the horn here and get a little word from everybody to get started. Uh, let's just go around in, in alphabetical order by last name. So I'm Jimmy Atkinson, as you may know me. I'm the founder of Opportunity DB. I was attracted to opportunity zones in the early days, in 2018, the day I heard about them. Uh, and I became an investor a couple years later in several Opportunity Zone deals once they became more familiar with the process. Jack, and go to you next. Jack Cust, how are you doing? Uh, why don't you give yourself a, a quick introduction and what attracted you to Opportunity Zones, Jack? Where Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. It's a pleasure to be with you today. And uh, I'm a retired CPA and I'm managing our family office, uh, which includes two self-sponsored uh, Opportunity Zone projects. One is a 400,000 square foot mixed-use town center uh, in Flemington, New Jersey, one of the wealthiest, uh, it's in one of the wealthiest counties in the country, anchored by a Marriott uh, and uh, multi-housing and restaurant and a restaurant city. The other one is an OZB, which uh, we have a recycling, national recycling company that we started. And uh, that's an exciting thing because the recycling business is really a pretty interesting industry. So we we kind of have our uh, our foot in uh, both multi housing and uh, and also the OZB. So it's it's exciting. I mean, it's a it's a great great uh, it's a great uh, program. It sure is, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about uh, uh, what you're bullish on and, and your particular deals uh, a little bit later during today's panel. Jack, Seth, let me turn to you next. Why don't you give us a quick intro? Who are you? What attracted you to, uh, to Opportunity Zones? So. Um... I, uh, I'm a financial planner focused on tax mitigation. And uh, aside from all of that, I use the Opportunity Zone Fund um, for both my business. Um, I'm a partner in an Opportunity Zone Fund down in Puerto Rico, uh, mixed uh, uh, hospitality fund. So really, I use it as just another tax strategy. And I use it for my personal business. And I use a fair amount of clients uh, with it just kind of to, to push the envelope, a little bit of tax diversity. Very good. And then uh, Remy Shakir also joining us today. Remy, quick introduction to you and what attracted you to Opportunity Zones? So one is with Opportunity Zones, um, and I come a little bit more from technology and healthcare. And so what we were brought in from different investment and developers is looking at where you can create more um, social um, equity, if you will, and um, prosperity. And so with that, uh, with economic development, where we've been brought in from different developers, so that's everything from multifamily to um, building new communities, sustainable communities, um, looking at climate, and then from the health perspective, looking at um, healthy building, um, so we're involved in that initiative nationally. But with the opportunity zones, there's an opportunity not just from 
the tax and the investment perspective, but then also looking at social impact. So bringing in investment that actually has um, another uh, triple bottom line, if you will, in terms of what those investments look like. So um, in the mid-Atlantic, we've been a little bit more focused in um, home health care, nursing, and um, assisted living facilities. And then looking at um, in Texas, uh, Rhode Island, and um, South Carolina, and in Connecticut, uh, we've been focused a little bit more in the multifamily and building out um, those um, type of uh, investments for uh, real estate. Very good. Well, again, thank you to the three of you for joining me today. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of people on the line right now who some of them have been to OZ Pitch Day before. Some of them have made Opportunity Zone investments before. A lot of them, this is their first interaction with Opportunity Zone Pitch Day. They might be getting ready to make their very first Opportunity Zone investment, or they just want to learn more about it. So the, the, the reason for this panel, the purpose of this panel is to help familiarize you with Opportunity Zone investments and to make you more comfortable potentially making Opportunity Zone investments. You can hear it from four people, myself included here, uh, that have made these types of investments in the past. So I wanted to get a sense of what are the types of gains that each one of us had that we rolled over into qualified Opportunity Zone funds over the past few months or, or few years. And, and Jackal, I'll start with you. What kind of gains did you have? That you rolled over our, our gains in our family businesses we have a, we have a lot of different things we're involved in so we we've rolled quite a bit of money in excess of 10 million dollars in gains into uh, our opportunity zone projects as well as attracting some friends and family so uh it's been a great tool to use um you know i was a practicing cpa for 40 years and i've really quite frankly never seen anything uh that's as good as these opportunity zone regulations. I mean, they're just phenomenal. And if you, you want to have a good deal, and if you can, you take advantage of these uh, these tax situations. It just makes a, a good deal, a great deal, and a great deal, a phenomenal deal. <laughs> it does. No, it doesn't make a bad deal a good deal because at the end of no. the day, this is a capital gains tax incentive program, and you better have capital gains at the end of the 10 years. Otherwise, it's it's not really worth your while. That's right. Jack, where did your gains originate from? You, you, you sold privately held business or, or what? Yes, privately held businesses and some real estate and some stock and some stocks. Good. A little bit of everything from you, it sounds like. Uh, by the way, for well, me, I actually... we, we, use our, we use our family office and we coordinate the Opportunity Zone projects and we just manage our portfolio and any gains we have, we just put them into our opportunity zone funds. Very good. So for me personally, by the way, um, my gains that I rolled over in 2020 and 2021 uh, were stemmed from a uh, highly appreciated low basis stock in that I held in, in mutual funds for you know 15 plus years. I, I divested some of my own um, stock portfolio specifically for two reasons, basically one, to you know, get out. Well, I felt like I was over uh, exposed to stocks. Mm -hmm. I like to keep a certain asset allocation 
and my asset allocation, my 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 exposure to stocks kept creeping up and up and up as the stock market had its run up over the last 15 years. Uh, so that was one reason, just take some chips off the table and get that stock allocation back to where I wanted it to. Um, and two, to diversify my portfolio a little bit. I I, I think unlike the the three of you, I didn't really have any exposure to to real estate previously to uh, investing in opportunity zone funds starting in 2020 and 2021. I also had some uh, privately held business uh, that I that I sold some interests in as well. Um, Seth, turning to you now, how about you? So what, I, what types of gains did you roll over into opportunity zones? I, I sold all of my uh, real estate on the East Coast after moving out to Arizona to be with my wife's family. So, uh, and I, I probably timed it as close to perfect as possible. So I think I sold it at, at within a few one month or two of the peak of the market. So uh, uh, I sold all of that. Um, I also closed uh, uh, two small businesses that had, uh, you know, East Coast Nexus that weren't going to move uh, effectively. So just kind of the, as I repositioned where my businesses uh, and uh, plans were. Very good. Um, and Remy, turning to you, uh, where did your gains come from? Well, what we've looked at is, I mean, you've mentioned family offices um, from Jack, uh, then looking at uh, different investors or developers and financing. Uh, the real opportunity has been, to your point, with the capital gains and looking at where um, from economic development, there's where you have the direct investment, and then there's additional government financing that has come to the table, um, in addition to the um, tax credits per se. But um, there's a huge opportunity for, again, looking at that triple bottom line, or looking at um, where you can create prosperity and be able to um, from an economic development perspective, um, have additional benefits outside of um, just the initial investment. Yeah, no, I think that's so important, Remy. Uh, you know, this, the if I can just get on my soapbox for a minute here, the Opportunity Zone policy was designed to create impact in these low-income communities all over the country. There's 8,700 plus of them. Now that said, a lot of investors aren't focused on impact. They could care less about impact, quite frankly, and they really just want a market rate return. There are a fair amount of investors out there who are impact investors who were attracted to opportunity zones for that reason. But I would say, at least, I don't know, this is my opinion, at least, no matter what type of investor you are, if you're just a market rate investor focused purely on um, your, your after-tax returns, we welcome you to opportunity zone investing. Or if you're an impact investor and you're, you're sure you want a little bit of return, but you're looking for some social impact on top of that, we absolutely welcome you as well. In either case, either type of investor, you're both bringing private capital into these areas that in theory, at least, are going to be catalyzing investments that can turn around that, that community. So whether you're, even if you're just a market rate investor, you might get a market rate, great after-tax return, but you're probably also helping to produce some sort of impact in those communities regardless. Some projects are more impactful than others, but all of these projects, at least the intent of the policy is to catalyze economic revitalization in a lot of these areas. Now, I wanted to discuss 
uh, how opportunity zones really fit into our investment portfolios. That was actually the, the title of today's uh, panel. If you check our, our agendas, how opportunity zones fit into our investment portfolios. Because so often we focus here on just very narrowly opportunity zones, opportunity zones, opportunity zones. I love talking about opportunity zones, but sometimes you have to take a step back and consider, well, how do OZs fit within the entirety of an individual's or a family office's overall investment portfolio? What what percentage should it be? You know, what 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 percentage of your portfolio just in general should you have in these types of opportunistic, um, higher risk type of assets? Jack, I'll, I'll start with you. What is your take on how OZs fit within your family's broader investment portfolio? It's it's really a perfect fit for us. As, as I mentioned before, we have a family office and we have multiple businesses in real estate. So we, we look at this opportunity zone <clears throat> as a situation where we can rearrange our assets in our portfolio and divest of them and convert them into the opportunity zone. And then at the end of 10 years, basically create everything that's tax-free. And uh, it, it, when you look at the leverage and what you can accomplish out of it, it it's really, a, it's an unbelievable situation if you could take advantage of it. Yeah, and, and Seth, turning to you, you know, that, that bigger question, if you zoom out and look at your entire investment portfolios, what, what role does opportunity zones play? So the, the first thing I have to do as a, as a financial planner is to challenge the assertion that these investments are riskier. Um, because an opportunity zone is not an investment. An opportunity zone is a wrapper around an investment. So a good investment will gain these additional benefits. And then on top of it, if it's planned right, will add some exceptional tax diversity into your, your financial life, which, if anything, is going to make the investment less risky. Now, by their nature, they are illiquid. But I would, again, play the question of that most investors should probably be investing in more illiquid things, that people tend to focus too much on liquidity, and liquidity um, destroys uh, uh, long-term uh, growth and value. Um, what do you need? Why, why does your retirement fund or your retirement situation need to be in something you can sell tomorrow if you're not going to retire for 20 years? Who cares? Um, there'll be ups, there'll be downs. Um, and so if you look at a long-term strategy, you're actually putting yourself in a lower risk uh, situation. Um, and then you can take it to the extreme. So I gave appreciated property to my you know, 12-year-old and my four-month-old, which is then invested with the capital gains into um, our Opportunity Zone Fund. And we don't tend to liquidate that Opportunity Zone Fund until the 2040, what did we say, 2047 the other day yep. uh, uh, is the requirement. Um, so my, you know, four-month-old is coming out with a, a tax-free gain on a property that we're expecting to have consistent double-digit returns, and he's going to come out with no tax uh, burden on that. Seth Rosenberg, everybody, he's playing 3D chess. Uh, the rest of us are playing. Maybe, maybe we're playing chess. Maybe we're playing checkers. This guy, long-term planning. I love it. By the way, I love your point about liquidity and illiquidity. My partner, Andy Hagens, he discusses that illiquidity premium concept that you touched on 
uh, Seth quite frequently on his podcast, the Alternative Investment Podcast. It was uh, made famous in part, at least to us, we became aware of it uh, because of uh, David Swenson's work on the Yale Endowment Fund. He was he was one of the first to really popularize that concept. Yale and other universities, these big endowment funds, they don't need liquidity. You know, <laughs> they're drawing down maybe one or two percent of their portfolio a year for their operating costs. But I think you can apply that to a wealthy individual or family as well. Why do you need all of your portfolio or 90% of your portfolio or even 50% of your portfolio in liquid assets? Your retirement portfolio doesn't need to be liquid for another 20 years. I think it's a great point. And, and typically you do achieve an illiquidity premium when you are in illiquid assets. I think it's a great point. Seth, Remy, how about you? How do you consider opportunities on investments within your broader portfolio? What role do they play for you? Well, some of them, I mean, you are looking at the 10-year uh, mark, if you will, but uh, what you're also looking at is what can you look at um, in the midterm? So if you're looking at three, five, seven years before you hit the 10 years, how you're um, appreciating in the value and um, increasing or multiplying the value of that asset. And with the opportunity zones, I think that coming in early, you're definitely going to have the value in the long term, but having the ability to um, build uh, a multiplication of the different assets together. So um, you start with one, but then you have additional things that you are bringing in um, as investments together. And then at the 10-year mark, you're able to have a multiple of where you started at the beginning. Very good. And then for me, I'll just kind of uh, comment on this one before we move on to the next topic. I, I consider opportunity zones broadly within my investment portfolio as Seth. I, I actually think I agree with you. I, again, just to say like, you know, I, it's, it's my illiquid portion of my investment portfolio, along with some privately held business that I own outside of my opportunity zone investments. I do have a fair amount of my net worth uh, tied up into illiquid assets. Although I don't know, maybe according to Seth, maybe probably not enough. And I should probably get my two month old, uh, some uh, opportunity zone <laughs> assets. Seth, I need to call you after this and uh, talk to you about that. Um, <laughs> but I rough, I would say roughly 10 to 15% of my overall investment portfolio is in a handful of different qualified opportunity funds. And for me, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it was a way to uh, diversify more my portfolio. I didn't have any exposure to real estate outside of my primary residence. So I wanted to grab a little bit of a diversified real estate investment portfolio through my opportunity zone funds that I've invested in. Um, and I'm not, I'll, I'll, one other point I want to make We've talked about the 10-year hold and that 10-year mark uh, a handful of times throughout the course of today and, and during this panel. I oftentimes get pushback from investors when I'm first teaching them about opportunity zones and explain to them, oh, by the way, you have to hold your investment for 10 years or more before you achieve the full benefit. That raises some eyebrows and gets worried, uh, worries some investors like, oh, ah, man, I, I kind of want to be able to cash out sooner than that. And and I like to redirect that frame 
to to for them to consider well this is you should think about this as an unlimited tax free growth type of vehicle it's a, it's akin to a Roth IRA it's a super Roth IRA as Ashley as Ashley Tyson and I have referred to it multiple times in the past and if you have a, a Roth IRA you're not chomping at the bit waiting to to take that money out as soon as you possibly can you don't really consider it as part of your overall liquid investment portfolio it's just this 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 illiquid part of your portfolio that you're saving for retirement which may be 5 10 20 30 years or more maybe for your your 4 month old Seth maybe it's 60 years down the line right and so you shouldn't be thinking about how soon can i get out in order to achieve the tax benefit you should be considering how long can i stay in how long can i let this investment eat for and and Seth and i just point out um currently in the regulations it's through the end of 2047. So that was just one more point that I wanted to make. Um, uh, Jimmy, with with respect to that, I just want to note that the response to that is also take a thought that item. you might be bullish on. Uh, Jack, what type of deals do you like in your Opportunity Zone portfolio? Are there any broad sectors that you like that you're bullish on? Or, or if you want to talk about specific deals, uh, get as, get it, be as broad or get as specific as you want to. Well, I like I like the deals that we're in because you know we 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 bet a lot of deal over the years we've looked at a lot of different things done a lot of work in the real estate area and we always like real estate because just economically you know real estate pretty simply you make your money from cash flow from appreciation and from amortization of debt so when you when you look at that combine that and then you put the tax impact on top of it that's available with the opportunity zones it becomes phenomenal. I'll just point this out, if I may, when you talk about uh, liquidity and tying up your cash, you have three opportunities, and Eric Hayden talked about this in your previous, uh, in your pre previous segment. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have a refinance opportunity that comes into play that a lot of people can take advantage of. You also, um, you know, in most of the real estate stuff, you try to target eight to 10% in cash flow, which is tax sheltered, and you're gonna have some cash flow from there. And you know, one of the other things that came up recently that's been talked about is the difficulty with the higher interest rates right now. And because of the higher interest rates, we mitigated that by um, raising more capital and paying a guaranteed uh, a guaranteed return for, uh, payment to uh, investors for their capital. You're allowed to do that without making a disqualifying event. So we pay our we pay our investors three and a half percent. When you look at the comparison of that to interest rate costs, uh, you can gain a lot more capital and you can create a little more cash flow for people. So you can you can play with some of these challenges with cash flow and getting your money back and you know uh, trying to create some shelter and it's, there, there's there's ways to do it so that you really still have a viable viable investment and not really tying up your cash and just saying it's there. I'll never forget about it forever. No, great, great point there. I mean, eventually, um, you know, we're the, 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 all of the OZ deals that I'm currently invested in, none of them is cash flowing at the moment, but eventually you do want to have some, some cash flow coming your way before even that liquidation event, uh, 10 plus years down the line. Seth, what about you? Any, any sectors or particular deals that you're particularly bullish on? So first, I just want to touch real quickly that remember that the the downside on uh, or, or not, the, it's not really a downside when it comes to illiquidity because if I need to pull money out prematurely, most funds will permit it. 
Um, and while there's going to be a small tax hit, the hope and the hope is that you don't need to. That's always your insurance policy. You can still get at money. You're going to lose some of the tax benefit, but that's not the end of the day if you need to pull the money out. Um, with respect to the opportunity zone side of things, I like to take advantage of something that just makes opportunity zones amazing and combined. So with real estate, there's already accelerated depreciation, um, except in an opportunity zone, there's no depreciation recapture. So we want to maximize that. And I want to combine that with an opportunity operating business. So for example, my hospitality fund down in Puerto Rico, we are you know, looking to maximize what we can do inside the fund without having a taxable uh, distribution to people, increasing their, you know, just layering that gain up. If you were to 1031 something instead of using an opportunity zone fund, you can't 1031 into an operating business. You can only deal with the real estate side of it. But if you have real estate that is also an oper operating business, you are diversifying your risk. You're saying, hey, if the real estate value is down, but the operating business itself is up, well, I'm still a net positive and vice versa. Yeah, good, great, great points there. Uh, you can, under a lot of cases, you can, you can, you can usually get the money out of it too. Oh, go uh, ahead, Remy. Go ahead. Sorry about Puerto that. Puerto Rico specific. Oh, no, I was going to say um, Puerto Rico with the opportunity zones, and I would say 90% of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, Seth, you can expand a little bit more in terms of um, how you've navigated in Puerto Rico. Uh, oh, so I wasn't sure. So I think that the Puerto Rico does add an added benefit, as, as Remy mentioned, that almost the entirety of the island is an opportunity zone, but it doesn't matter whether it's Puerto Rico or other places around the country, the vast majority of opportunity zones are also eligible for some other special tax treatment. And you should be looking to make sure that the operator, or if it's a direct investment, is taking advantage of those additional benefits and making sure they're maximizing them. Um, because at the end of the day, you can achieve that that impact by layering, you know, the more we can layer on, the more Uncle Sam's going to help me complete my project, the better the number is. Yeah, Seth, I think that's crucial that you point that out. I mean, so like uh, opportunity zones are really oftentimes just one piece of the capital stack for a lot of these different projects, right? And you can oftentimes because it's an opportunity zone, it's probably eligible for a lot of other types of tax credits or either either from the federal government or from the state government or the local government. You know, a couple of examples there, the state of Ohio offers a 10% tax credit for any opportunity zone project that's built in Ohio. Puerto Rico, there are numerous uh, incentive programs, tax credits that are designed to, to lure investors down to Puerto Rico. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act that was passed last year offers numerous renewable energy um, benefits and subsidies that that opportunities on developers can often access. And then there's oftentimes, you know, uh, you're able to get um, uh, diff different types of TIFs or uh, tax abatements uh, from your local government. I was just in South Bend, Indiana a week ago. I got a chance to speak at the University of Notre Dame, and I was introduced to an Opportunity Zone project just south of campus 
uh, where the developer told me, you know, on top of all of the opportunities on benefits they're getting, they're also getting, um, I think it's a, a seven year tax abatement from the local government to incentivize them to build there. And then eventually that's going to increase the capital base or the tax base for the the local government. But but the city of South Bend is offering that for certain projects, at least. So that, there's just a few different anecdotes there. Remy, I don't know if you had anything else to add um, on, on sectors or particular deals that, that you're bullish on. Um, again, we are a little bit more biased towards healthcare. So looking at uh, nursing and um, home healthcare and uh, such, we're definitely seeing uh, a lot of interest in, from a real estate perspective, in buying or investing and in developing into those type of sectors, like assisted living and such. Good. And then um, I'll think that I haven't answered the question yet. So here's what I like. And here's what I personally have invested in, uh, in terms of my qualified opportunity fund investment portfolio. I'm invested in a variety of multifamily deals um, across the country. I like multifamily. It has its ups and downs, but I like the long-term trend. We have a housing shortage of this country. Uh, I should also mention that, that I do have a, a small stake in some of the deals that Seth is working on in Puerto Rico. Uh, and I also have uh, a stake in some venture capital funds as well, because I like um, I wanted some exposure to some some venture capital. So that's a little bit about me. Um, just kind of to, to round out this talk this morning. Um, I'm just checking the time. We've got about eight minutes left here. Uh, any any challenges that any of you have faced? I'm curious what you know, this is a relatively new investment program. Uh, it was only introduced five and a half years ago. We only got regulations about what, three and a half years ago, four years ago, it was, um, you know, with, with, with being an early adopter, there's oftentimes challenges. What, what challenges has each one of you faced? Or are there any other anecdotes about opportunities on investing that you'd like to share? Jack? Well, you know, in, in the project that we're doing in Flemington, this mixed use town center, um, we were, we're redeveloping uh, one of the old famous hotels, Union Hotel, which is across the street from where the Lindbergh trial was. And if it weren't for the Opportunity Zone, that would, that would have been a non-starter. I mean, so when you say it's a challenge, it really helped because it allowed us to raise capital. We had to redevelop uh, this entire block. Uh, it was very important to our political leaders that this hotel was redeveloped. So we made it... We made it part of the redevelopment. It became, it's a Marriott hotel now. And uh, so in terms of challenges, the Opportunity Zone really helped, helped us quite a bit. So uh, the only challenge right now is this interest rate environment, which I alluded to before that uh, we've been trying to mitigate that by giving some, uh, some returns back to the uh, capital, uh, for the people that invest in capital. So um, that's kind of where it is. Very good. Uh, Seth, just to kind of round out the discussion. Um, how about challenges that you've experienced as an Opportunity Zone investor, an early adopter into this new program, or any other OZ anecdotes that you'd like to share? So this newest unique challenge that I am facing is that between the Opportunity Zone program and the tax credits in Puerto Rico and the investment um, of the IRA, we are looking, for example, for our energy component of our project um, that 
we will have tax credits in excess of the between tax credits and deductions in excess of the cost of the energy component sufficiently enough that we might not be able to take advantage of all the deductions. So we are now trying to figure out how to come up with unique ways to monetize or modify the capital stack in such a way that somebody can take advantage of those deductions so they don't go away. Um, in the case of uh, the energy efficiency, we're looking at somewhere for about every dollar we spend on an energy efficiency, we're looking at a total um, between IRA and other costs, about 130% in total credits. So that's, that's um, pretty impressive. <laughs> that's really is unique because of, I mean, you brought up the energy in particular. I think uh, we talked about the, um, it's not just the opportunity zone, but there's a lot of other, you know, for a given jurisdiction or zone that you would have a lot of other federal or uh, local benefits or credits that could be applied and specific to Puerto Rico for um, energy, there are a lot of benefits that get multiplied. So that's where, again, coming back with the um, multiplier effect of you have your direct investment, but then what are the other investments that you can couple up with and um, partner with other investors and benefits? Puerto Rico is definitely an outlier, but here in Arizona, if I was to do energy efficiency on one of my businesses that's in an opportunity zone, and unfortunately I don't own that building, so it doesn't make uh, sense, I would still be looking at a, a total between tax credits and the IRA. I could probably clear 80 over 80% of the cost of the energy improvement project in, in credits, rebates, and opportunity zone benefits. So um, when you look at how you layer and combine, uh, and and this is definitely you know not a state that you would expect to see that in, so uh, you just have to look and and figure out when you're designing your structures and and looking at who you're investing with. Very good. Um, for me, the challenge was uh, just putting this whole thing together. OZ Pitch Day, <laughs> and then my platform. So I'm a little bit unique in that regard. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, it's given me, it's given me a great view of the industry overall. And it's, it's, it's incredible, uh, the different types of people that I've been able to interact with over the last five years. I've, I've pretty much seen just about everybody, I think, um, who's doing any type of opportunity zone development. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I, there's, there's a lot of capital out there being deployed through captive funds that I really don't have any insight into um i don't know how much but i think it's in the in the tens of billions if not maybe a hundred billion or more uh type type of investments that are going through captive funds wealthy families that aren't raising capital from elsewhere but the qualified opportunity funds that are raising capital i've i've got a pretty good firm on uh a pretty firm grip on on who they are and what they're doing and it's 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 been a, my pleasure really kind of helping to lead this community lead this industry uh, to learn more about opportunity zones and and do some opportunity zone investing and playing a small part in driving some investment capital into some of these low income communities all over the country and you know like I hinted at or actually debuted a couple hours ago I'm really excited that today we're launching our opportunity zone investor and professional mastermind group called OZ Insiders uh, it's launching officially 
today. You can learn more about that at ozinsiders.com. But we're going to be doing more stuff like this, essentially, inside that OZ Insiders group, more of these um, these meetings like the one that we just had here today with Jack Cust and Seth Rosenberg and Remy Shakir. Um, my partner Andy and I founded it because there wasn't really a centralized location for high-performing Opportunity Zone investors and executives to meet. That's why we're rolling out ozinsiders.com today. It's our new OZ Insiders Mastermind Group. We're going to have a once-monthly masterclass meeting where we'll dive into specific topics of Opportunity Zone investing and structuring and other types of tax advantage strategies that you can employ for your own investment portfolio. So that's just a little bit more about OZ Insiders. Uh, we are at time. I do want to thank all of my panelists for joining me here today. Jack Cust, Seth Rosenberg, and Remy Shakir. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jimmy. Great job. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful job, Jimmy. Pleasure talking. Thank you. Thank you all. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can find us online at opportunitydb.com. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB by Wealth Channel. This podcast is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all other podcast listening platforms. Just hit that subscribe or follow button so you get all of our new episodes as we release them. And we'll be back soon with another exciting episode. 